And welcome to the Millennium Room uh, here in government offices, uh, not far away from the Timbal Chambers, uh, where this morning, uh, for an hour and 13 minutes, we heard the statement from the Treasury Minister, Alfred Cannon. I think it's his longest speech of three. Uh, certainly, there was much to put on. He, he spoke about a, um, a statement of substance, and it certainly was a statement of substance. Uh, last year, well, 2017, it was a budget of optimism, focus, uh, and support, uh, with him ending the words, we are building the pillars of success and sustainability for many years to come. Is he doing that? Has he been successful? We, of course, got this uh, five-year financial strategy, which uh, we're halfway through. But the question we have to ask ourselves this lunchtime in the Baker Tilly Isle of Man program is, is this island in a good place? Is it possible, taking into account what's happening to our largest trading partner across the water, is it possible for the island to definitively predict what lies ahead uh, and budget accordingly. I speak, of course, of the B word, Brexit. We just don't know what's happening there. Well, at the start of this substantial speech, Mr Cannon referred members to the background of this budget and its immediate predecessors. Uh, the five-year financial strategy started two years ago, and he referred to the restraints that that plan brought with it. That five-year plan set out strong cost controls. That five-year plan set out to control pay in a reasonable and fair manner. That five-year plan set out prudent financial forecasts. That five-year plan set out not austerity, Mr Deputy President, but prudent requirements for departments to deliver their public service commitments in a focused and efficient manner. We have also taken quantified risks. We have moved to increase personal allowances at a greater rate than ever before, despite the potential cost impacts and we have started to increase support to our working families through child benefit and employed persons allowance. We have invested in early years education, we have invested in targeted public spending, and we have also managed to cope with the deficit spending from the de Health Department, investing an unplanned additional £21 million into the nation's health since this plan was put together, but without distracting from our overall financial objectives. The Manx Radio Budget Programme, brought to you by Baker Tilly, Isle of Man. Well, that's how Alfred Cannon started his speech. If you were listening to Mandate this morning, stupid me, when you were listening to Mandate uh, this morning, you will have heard uh, a uh, challenge we gave to people in the streets. What did they think the budget should bring? What do they want to see it in the budget? Uh, we went out and asked a few people. This is what we heard. To the poor and let them help them out instead of stealing and robbing and giving these rich people more and more tax-related things that they can do. More, more, more money for the needy? More money for the needy, yes. That's the main one. Social housing? Uh, social welfare, sorting out the debts at the hospital? Things like that, looking after the people rather than the banks. Mental health? Page. Mental yeah, health. Yeah, I think we do more for them. Really. Yeah. yeah. Why, why mental health? Well, there's, there's a lot of people uh, suffering from mental health. So, so more more resources for that. Yes. Yes, I think so. There's there's more nowadays, though, isn't there? Mental health patients, and they don't do much about it. You know, they they need more good Samaritans to ring up as well to talk to and they're feeling suicidal and all that. So, so more money for vulnerable people? Yes, yes. I think that'd be a good idea. Think it's time we stop. Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. 
thing that's important to me and to women born in the 1950s is that they've been cheated out of the pensions that they worked for and expected on time. My own wife will have been cheated out of £50,000. And it's an absolute disgrace that women in the born in the 1950s and worked from age 16 and expecting a pension at 60 are now getting it at 67. Seven years lost. There's lots of things to invest in. What, what's the most pressing thing for you? Well, I'm in to save. I'm a pensioner, and I'm in to save. The money that we get now as a pension goes away very quickly. I'm going to say by the time you paid your electric, your gas, your rent and so forth, you've got very much left to, to, to live on, so I think, you know, that's about the only thing I can really say, you know, overall. I'm going to say that Douglas and itself, I'm going to say it's getting so depressed, a lot of the shops are shutting down. The place wants to get booked up a bit, you know, I can't understand what they're doing with the place, personally. The Manx Radio Budget Programme, brought to you by Baker Tilly, Isle of Man view of the people in the street. We have guests around the table. We're going to have more guests in this next hour, but uh, sitting here, well, gazing at me, and indeed gazing at the television cameras, because uh, today we actually have uh, streaming on Manx.com, so if you want to see us as well as hear us, well, please, please feel free. Uh, shaking his head is Philip Dearden, tax expert, uh, formerly with Equium. Uh, good afternoon, you're shaking your head. You, know, you don't feel like a television star, then. You never told me about the cameras. No, no, we didn't. We kept that secret. Uh, Tim Groves is with us as well, looking at housing, and also David Gorn. If I just go to you, Mr Gorn, first of all, uh, we heard people, it's very much in people's uh, thinking of, uh, of themselves, of, of what they can do to alleviate problems heating, all that sort of thing, costs. Are they justified in feeling a bit aggrieved at what's been done for them by this government? I think there's a lot of questions out there which people are asking as to how the situation is being addressed. As a lot of what we're doing at the moment through the third sector and through government is actually addressing the, um, the symptoms. We're not looking to understand the underlying causation. And I think we need to have a more close look at that and see what is happening because frequently when people come to the food bank it's not just food they need it's general advice on how they run their budgets on what they spend the money on so I, th I think it's um, uh, it's referred to in the budget speech about integrated health and social care and I think well-being as, as one person described it to me is is everybody working together to provide for more, my needs and I think at the moment we need to get government and the third sector and all the people involved working together to address these issues because at the moment we're addressing parts of them but we're not looking at the whole the whole issue. So what's the, the nub of the matter? I mean we, uh, Bernard Moffat has described Alfred Cannon as the Duke of Nothingham uh, which is a bit deprecating but then you'd expect no less from, from Bernard and also he said one thing we can be sure of is an increase in the demand on food banks. Is that going to happen? It's going to continue is it? People needing that sort of thing? Well the increase in the food bank has been from this time last year um, approximately 90 parcels per month were being provided that's now up to about 200 now some of that obviously reflects the the, the economic situation but you've got to also bear in mind that having moved to new a new location the uh, the food bank is now far more visible and people are perhaps uh, being less reluctant to rely on those services than they were in the past with me by the way is alex watton who'll be joining the presenting just one last question 
we're, we're a prosperous island. I mean, listening to this budget, it seems that we're prosperous. So why have we got this problem? But I think this problem exists in every community, doesn't it? We have very prosperous societies and we have people at the top who are doing extremely well, but then we have people at the bottom, for whatever reason, are not doing as well. And, and those are the people we should be looking to support. And again, we should be pooling our efforts to actually provide that support. Well, in Mr Cannon's speech today, three million was put aside for the Department of Health and Social Care. He sort of thanked the work of food banks and homeless charity GRI. Is that enough? Um, I think the relationship between government and the third sector is improving, and we are now working together on, on a number of issues. Um, but no, as, again, I think we've got Dewan Watterson's um, Select Committee on Poverty. We've got work being done by the Cabinet Office on Poverty. Before we start putting money into it, we need to, really need to understand what we're putting money into, what do we mean by poverty, what do we mean by the poor, because these can't, these uh, names and numbers are all relevant because in the Isle of Man what we might regard as being poverty uh, is somebody who would be regarded as affluent in another jurisdiction. So I think we've got to understand what we're talking about before we can start addressing it. Well, to address those underlying causes rather than the symptoms, as you said, how can the budget do that? The, well, the budget can't. I mean, we should be informing the budget as to what is required for that rather than just saying we're putting this money into it. We need to be saying, well, this money is for A, B, C, D. And, and one of the concerns I've had for, for many years is that when we say we're um, reducing the health budget, um, we're not always balancing that out by an increase in the social care budget, because frequently if we take things away from health, then they become the domain of social care. Um, and, and social care has historically been the poor relation. And again, it's, it's in interesting that uh, Jonathan Michael's um, investigation is into health and social care and that the um, integration of services is health and social care. So hopefully we are pulling the two together because you need them both to work together to be effective. Uh, but I'm looking at a list here of uh, Mr Cannon's speech. He's talking about benefits, most benefits rising by 2.4%. What more can he do than, than get benefits to rise to help people in that direction? Well, again, I think it's a question of having an overall, what, what are the needs? If you introduce a 2.4 uh, percentage increase for everybody, then for some people that could be very significant. But if you're right on, on the bottom living wage, then 2.4% doesn't really help you very much. Just to add my attention to Phil Dearden, uh, looking at the speech, the word confidence appears all the time. If you go through it, uh, it's, it's used as a sort of, uh, he pauses about every five pages and says, we can be confident we are a sustainable island. He pauses and says, uh, we are confident that we can see the way ahead, etc. It seems to be a buzzword in there. Um, <laughs> is there rather too much use of the word confidence? Is he trying to tell us something that he feels we should be that in fact he feels we may not be? I don't think so. I think it is part of a Treasury Minister's role to engender confidence on the island. It was noticeable. He started off the speech talking about very negative risks to the island. And normally when someone does that, you think, oh, no, what's going to happen? But he actually sounded quite confident. He has had a good year money-wise. And I think he did share that money out quite sensibly. So I think he's... He's feeling good, and he's trying to make sure that everyone else does as well. I mean, one way of making people feel good is so that they can afford their own houses, can't they, uh, Tim Groves? Uh, is, is that happening? Do people who want houses in the island, well, we, we feel that they can't get hold of them these days, lower rung wise? They can, but there's not enough supply in the market to satisfy demand at the current time. That's not necessarily because people aren't feeling confident enough to purchase. That's probably more likely down to the lack of the type of product people want to buy being available on the market today. 
We've got uh, joining us uh, as well members of the uh, House of Keys and also the Legislative Council. Bill Shimmins is here. I want to tax him about areas that he's got particular responsibility. But can I just um, refresh our minds on what Mr. Cannon said about pensions? Because, of course, paying for pensions in the future is a major cause of concern for all. Uh, in our phone-ins, we invariably hear the comment, what about pensions debt? What about the liability that exists? Uh, this is part of what Mr. Cannon told the court. In March last year, this honourable court approved a significant piece of legislation that introduced to the island the new Manx State Pension. As a result, the contracted out rate of national insurance will cease from the 5th of April and all workers on the island will start to contribute towards the new Manx State Pension. For employees who are currently in contracted out pension schemes, this will mean a small increase in the amount of national insurance that they contribute. This, of course, includes the majority of public servants who, from April, will incur an additional 1.6% increase in their national insurance contributions. However, with these changes in place, our actuarial predictions now predict that the National Insurance Fund, which was predicted to run out in the 2050s, is now set to run until at least 2072 and possibly beyond. We will await the next actuarial report with interest. But it would be remiss of me not to acknowledge that workers in the public sector are having to go through a significant readjustment to their take-home pay and conditions as they face higher contributions both to their public sector pension and higher contributions to their state pension. I thank them for their patience and understanding as they invest in their long-term pension security. The Manx Radio Budget Programme, brought to you by Baker Tilly, Isle of Man. Well, let's just concentrate on pensions because we've got Dougie Elliott in here, Alexander Elliott, Chairman of the Pensions Association. Good afternoon. Thanks for Good joining afternoon. us. Uh, well, they've been thanked um, by the Treasury Minister for their patience. Um, are they patient out there? Do they accept what's going on? Do they feel the island's going in the right direction vis-à-vis -vis helping them with the pensions? I certainly think the island is going in the right direction. Uh, it was essential that this growing problem was grasped, um, and I think it has been grasped very well. Um, Do you think it's been dealt with? Have they come up with a solution? It is a, it's on the road to a solution. Um, that's all they can do, really, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. No problem can be solved overnight. Um, it has been one that has been in the minds of people for some years now uh, and hasn't been tackled by past... Um, legislative uh, changes um, and it is important now that they have got hold of it and started to do something with it and I think he's right I think it is hard on those in the civil service who've had to make adjustments but I think those adjustments were essential um, it couldn't continue to get worse uh, and certainly now it would appear that it's starting to get better and that can only be a good thing you say starting to get better then uh, conceding there's still a long way to go if you start in a bad situation whereby you have a deficit... So and we're heaving ourselves out of the, the and, and you have effect, yeah. um, uh, re reserves that are running out, yes, it is a bad place to start. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, you have to admit that you, that's where you are and get on with it, and that's what I feel has been done. Phil, it, doesn't, it, it can't help the island <clears throat> when people hear about pensions problems and thinking to come to work over here, looking to, to take their family over here perhaps, and hear that there is a pensions problem over here. 
I would guess when you're trying to attract people here, any problems are a bad thing. Well, I, I, can't, I can remember recruiting many people over the years and I can't remember anyone ever saying, I'm not coming because your government's got a pension problem. So I, I don't think that is yet a problem. But Dougie's right, there is a big issue there and it has to be resolved. And it, it's probably only going to be resolved over time. And what the government are trying to do is fix it incrementally. Are they succeeding? Are they actually getting somewhere? I think they are, but it's early days. When you think about it, the the balance sheet number doesn't matter. That wave was because of arithmetic. The amount they pay out each year in the future is what matters. And if they didn't have enough cash, that'd be a big problem. If revenues increase to meet that pension, or if other costs are reduced enough, that'd be brilliant. But it has to be met. If those two answers don't work, they'd have to cut people's benefits. That would be a disaster. And I think at the moment they still think that the prosaic idea of cash management will work. And if it does, well done. Just switch subjects, because Bill Shimmons, MHK Middle, has been sitting patiently at the end of the table. You've been given responsibility. Well, you were given responsibility some time ago for SAVE that when it first was launched. That was... Was it two budgets ago? Time passes so quickly when you get to a certain age, isn't it? Uh, are you still IC, save? So in terms of save, it was it was great. We had a very high level of engagement from general This public. is, by the way, the thing to save money. The contribution, I think, 1,300 ideas from the public, basically, in which we'd, the government could save money. We had over 1,300 ideas, and uh, some of those were big ideas. Some of them were quite small. So we filtered through that process, and then the team has been working with departments... Um, so the individual government departments to take responsibility for those suggestions for their departments. What's the bottom line? How much have we got out of this? How much well, have we saved? Uh, as, as the Treasury Minister said, um, we have a number of savings uh, already underway, but he, he highlighted the challenges that this is creating. And public expectations are very high in, in practice. It has proved very challenging for departments, and we are looking to continue to drive through savings under the programme. Um, it's, it is a, a challenging situation as we look at... Well, was it worthwhile? Was it, was it a good road to set out on? I think it was uh, great to engage the general public to get their suggestions. Um, many of these things require uh, different operating models. They look at different ways of doing things, not necessarily stopping doing things, but doing things in a more efficient and a more modern way. And that, that has proved challenging for some departments, there's no doubt about that. Now, just quickly, another area that you're in charge of is mm. uh, infrastructure items. For instance, uh, there's going to be quite a bit of work done on the road A5 south, I think, that's coming up in the near future. Uh, and dare I mention potholes as well. I think there's 575,000 allocated to potholes. How many potholes will that account for? It wouldn't be a budget if we didn't talk about potholes. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of uh, work going in um, to improve the roads. So the main arterial road south is due for a big uh, revamp, but we're also spending... That's down, down Browncown Hill, through Santon and up towards the Ferry Bridge, where they've already done some work. It so is. it's going to involve a lot of traffic having to go somewhere else. If you go on that road at the moment, it's in a pretty poor state. It's uh, The surveys that have been undertaken show that it's really life expired. So it's not a question of, um, let's just patch it up. It needs a complete uh, revamp, would D be my... Just as idea. a cyclist, and you're a cyclist, are you going to put a cycle way down the side of it? Well, as you know, the active travel programme is uh, progressing well, and we'll be looking to introduce the new active travel routes 
Um, I, I don't want to preempt uh, what, what will be the outcome of that, but certainly there'll be some exciting announcements on that over the next exciting couple of months. Exciting announcements, look forward to them. Hope yeah. you let us know first. <laughs> Tim Groves, can I just ask you, does the condition of our roads affect people's view of the island? And we hear what awful roads Alaman has got. I mean, does that stop people coming over here and living and buying houses and things? Similar to what Philip said earlier on, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say to me, I'm not moving to the island because the roads aren't good enough or there are too many potholes. But I think if you took an overriding view of it, uh, the, the Isle of Man has to present itself as a wonderful, fabulous place to live and work. And the condition of the roads, the hedgerows, the weather, the countryside, every element of that contributes. Is it doing enough then in those areas? It's trying very hard, yes, but it's these It's not quite doing enough, though, is it, if you're trying very hard? It's, well, uh, Jenkins say, trying very hard. It's a sort of report you used to get. You have to try, but these sorts of initiatives all add to, well, create added value to the island as an environment. So that has to help attract new people to it. It has to improve We'd, we'd all like things to be better, wouldn't we? We'd like the roads to be better. We'd like the health system to be better. We'd like education to be better. We could all think of long lists of problems, but the fact that most of us are living healthy lives and there are more people employed than ever before, so people are coming over, must mean that quite a lot of things are being done right. That's not to be complacent. There's lots to deal with. And I would also say, Philip, that if you look across social media, whether it's through locate.im or others, people who are resident here, who themselves just extol the virtues of the Isle of Man. You see it all of the time, whether you're on B2B platforms like LinkedIn or Facebook or any of the other sort of social channels. People are very proud of where they live. You know, I've just done a job interview with somebody, look at the walk to work, and they're across the beach. They are very proud of this environment and they love it, and that is going to encourage more and more people to see the same thing. You just mentioned social media. How damaging in some areas is social media to the island? The comments that you see and hear about people, uh, the comments about the government, about government ministers, people feel that they can say anything they like on social media, and presumably it's read across the water and across the world as well. Can't be very helpful, can it? Mind you, we can't do much about it, can oh, we, yeah. now? We've unleashed the beast. Freedom of speech. People can believe they can say what they wish to say. Debbie Hassel's joined us from the Unite Union. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Can I just mention something that wasn't mentioned in the speech, and that's a bit of industrial dispute that's going on at the moment with the post office workers. Was it odd that the Treasury Minister didn't even give that a mention in any sort? In your view? As regards to the industrial action that's been taken by CWU, um, yeah, I would have expected. Well, no, actually, it was about the budget. It wasn't about to talk about some kind of um, industrial action that's going on. I think that's for a different forum. It, does your union take any view at all of what's going on, or do you just step to one side and basically let them get on with it? Well, no, we support our members in the post office, and obviously... Uh, have they been joining in the, in the action? No, because we represent a different uh, group of members within the post office. Just talking about unions generally uh, on the island, I know that we've spoken to Bernard Moffat many times on, on this mm. programme, uh, and he's always given the feeling that union members are a bit beleaguered, that, you know, it's us and them. What's the situation now? I think, you know, we would like to have... We do have good industrial relations, uh, but unfortunately, there's, you know, in day-to-day -day running of politics, etc., sometimes political members get involved with certain aspects that maybe that they shouldn't be involved in. Um, but on the whole, I think we have a good working can, can relationship. Can you give a for instance? Does... No? 
So political members who feel should step to one side and... Yeah, well, and you know, as regards to certain certain political members who feel that they had a right to comment on certain things, um, which really was no relevance to them. Um, and, you know, we talk about social media and the opening up of certain things, which is actually in there as well. So... Your union, is it expanding in its membership? Yep. That's yes, generally a sign is. of bad times, isn't it, when the unions get bigger? No, just a good, just a good leader. Just a good leader. <laughs> you, you've, only, you've only been in that chair. How are you finding it? You've only been there for a while, haven't uh, you? Yeah, it's great. Obviously, I still have the support of the uh, retiring regional officer, uh, the regional officer was Eric Holmes, so he's still in the background. Um, so, yeah. I have good support. Well, speaking of in the background, we've got uh, ministers and all sorts of waiting in the background. So what, let's just bear, uh, put our minds to something that will be of interest to companies on the island, the taxation of companies. Indeed, the future prosperity of this island is tied up in the ability to attract and keep businesses here. This is part of what the Treasury Minister had to say. Turning now to the taxation of companies, Last year, I asked the assessor to review the taxation position of the banks with a view to taxing all banking profits at the 10% rate from this year. The assessor has informed me that despite initial thoughts, in reality, very little extra revenue would be raised by taxing all banking profits at 10% rate, as deposit-funded lending is already charged at that rate. Also, our banks have been restructuring and working towards a new ring-fence model uh, and despite this, their tax contribution continues to increase. I therefore see no reason at this time to increase that burden further. Indeed, to bring this tax forward could have a reverse and negative effect on this income stream. The Manx Radio Budget Programme, brought to you by Baker Tilly, Isle of Man. Well, joining us is Laurie Hooper, the Ramsey member. Uh, and... On occasion, outspoken critic of uh, government policy, uh, very straightforward in what he has to say. Is the government giving good messages to companies over here? Are we um, encouraging them in the way that we should do, do you feel? I think the answer to that has got to be a yes, actually, quite a strong yes. Uh, we're seeing more companies, more employment, quite a lot of growth happening on the Isle of Man, and a part of that has to be down to government's messaging as well as the way the private sector engages quite positively, I think, with that message. So, the, yeah, government's definitely sending out the right message in respect of the private sector over here. Yeah. Um, as far as the budget is concerned, has that given out the right message? I think you've spoken on it already. Yeah, like I said earlier on, I think this this year's budget is very much a continuation of, of last year's budget, um, and I think the underlying that's a good thing, isn't it? Because we're in the middle of a five-year financial strategy. Isn't that the, what we should be doing? Carrying on the same way. And in some ways, yes. In some ways, you want to carry on with things that are working, but equally, you want to stop doing the things that aren't working. And I don't really think there's been enough of that. Uh, that kind say, of for change instance, up. things that well, aren't the, working. The pay cap, for example, the public set of pay cap isn't working. We've seen that it's not working. We've seen that it's causing difficulties throughout uh, health and home affairs. We had had the minister of home affairs standing up today talking about the, the issues that pay restraint has had on his department. We've seen a, a pay award be given to DHSC for this year's budget to deal with the fact that last year's pay award was higher than the, the pay cap. So we know that it's not solving our problems. And yet we seem to be persisting with that, that policy, which doesn't appear to be generating any kind of benefit for government. It's, it's 2%, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, David Ashford has joined us. How many problems is it causing you, Mr Ashford? Well, obviously, in relation to DHSC, we are very much exposed to any pay rise. 64% of our overall budget is spent on pay. 
Um, but I think one of the things is that differs across Sorry, departments. Can you just give that figure again? 64%. 64% it's not, is that of more the than over, in most cases? Is that it's a lot more high? than in most cases. Um, it is high. But then again, when you think about health and social care services, if you haven't got the staff, you haven't got a service. So it's absolutely... So I don't think that's a surprise. In These fact, are premium some wages, think, are they, to get people over here? No, no, no. I think in a lot of cases, they're not, they're not premium wages. I know the big thing at the moment has been about consultants, um, but I can assure you the staff on the ground are not in the same situation, um, not by a long reach. I think some people might be surprised it's not actually more than 64%, to be perfectly honest. But it does leave us exposed. And I think, you know, Treasury needs to be congratulated that they have come forward, recognised that problem, and they have now built into the budget going forward. I think in relation to the pay cap, while I can understand what Laurie's saying there, I think it is important that mines are concentrated within departments because if you didn't have a pay cap at all and departments felt that whatever pay award comes forward, it'll just be absorbed by Treasury. I think that removes quite a bit of responsibility from the departments in terms of managing their budgets effectively. But I can understand where there is pay awards that are massively above what the cap is. Then I think, to be honest, certainly in DHSC's case and in Home Affairs's case as well, Treasury has been sensible for those departments that are very much exposed to pay rises and said, actually, we will build into your budgets. That hasn't always happened in past years, under past administrations, but I think the Treasury team this year has taken a very sensible approach in that regard. Well, there's three million uh, allocated to the health department, down, and that's been broken down to pharmaceuticals and staffing. So, mm. what amount of that will be going down to staffing, and if not in incentives, in what way? So, the staffing is in terms of the pay rise. It's not incentives. I will say that's quite clearly now. Two point one million it is. Um, the pharmaceuticals comes in at zero point the zero point nine. Um, those are the two bids that the department asked for this year from Treasury and that's what we got um, in terms of drug budget of course and the pharmaceuticals again as new treatments come on the market we see ever rising costs and again I'm very delighted that Treasury has listened to the department in that regard and given us that allocation. People are demanding aren't they if there's a new treatment come on quite understandably if they have a condition that will be made better alleviated by that new treatment they want it. Well I think people do people want things to be cutting edge and I think expectations do continuously change expectations of what we expect from health have radically changed from say even 10 years ago compared to what we expect now we want more community services we want things closer to home let's be honest when the NHS started in 1948 it was very much uh, you went into hospital and depending upon what you had it was an end-of-life service um, and you didn't come back out again. Now people, when they reach the end of life, they want to be closer to their families, they want to be in their communities, and our challenge is adapting the service to make sure it's fit for that 21st century demand. Changing over 10 years then, how does that integrate mental health care? So in terms of mental health, um, I'm very delighted you've raised that because obviously there's several key bits in the budget. Within the individual um, budget allocation, um, we're going to be investing half a million extra into the mental health care budget this year. We've also, within uh, the capital programme, got 1.7 million for Get and Reach, which is the, which is the um, acute unit. Yes, for infrastructure. No, no. If you look within the allocations within the individual departments within the budget as well, we're giving a half a million uplift 
to mental health within the various allocations of the divisions. Okay. We also got um, we've also got programs on the go, which I've mentioned before about separating out autism into its own pathway because at the moment it's contained within the children's uh, children and young adults mental health service, which I don't think is appropriate. It should have its own pathway for those who suffer from autism. There's lots of programs on the go. There's e-clinics as well that we'll be launching in the next year. So in terms of mental health, there's a lot of investment going in. By and we March. Should... The e-clinics was by March, wasn't it? The e-clinics are starting to be delivered, so they will be in place. Um, but one of the things I think that is absolutely key with mental health and the problem with health and social care is we can sometimes delve it all down to money. It's not just about money, it's about the way we deliver services as well. Money is, of course, an important factor because you've got to be able to fund them, but it's about the way we deliver services and making sure they're modern and up-to-date and efficient too. Was this not an opportunity, though, in the budget to bring in some schemes to tackle what you've talked about to me before, which is early intervention rather than things like infrastructure, which Mitch, uh, Mr Cannon did outline for uh, Manan and Court and, and, and those sort of things. Should we not be introducing new schemes for early intervention rather than tweaking what we've currently got well as i said there, there will be new schemes within the department over the next 12 months in terms of early intervention as i say within the individual allocations within the department half a million going to mental health um there's also um 800 going to children and families as well um so we, we are going to be able to come forward with new schemes with new pathways within that allocation can you just ask you, is Nobles Hospital an efficient machine? Yeah. Do you look at it as a machine that basically helps people get better? Is it, would you say, look, if it was a car, do you, you think it's running sweetly? You've, you've got deja vu, I think, John. We've done many shows, I think, where I've made quite clear as far as I'm concerned. I don't think Nobles Hospital is the most efficient machine going. I think it's getting more efficient. Um, if you want to use the car analogy, I think there's been quite a lot of fine-tuning going on. Um, but there's still some work to do maybe on the exhaust and a few other bits of the engine. Are you happy but with the driver? I am very content with the driver. Um, we have a very excellent interim director of hospitals in place. You've just changed, obviously, the um, director. He is, he is fundamentally doing some major reforms up there. So, for instance, one of the things I can talk about is, for instance, the four-hour A&E performance, where although the new director of hospitals has only been in place a couple of weeks, with a team effort of everyone across A&E, they are now delivering 96.7% on that A&E target, which is the best performance since 2014. So I don't think that's bad for a start. Well, just tapping on that efficiency again then, you've got 3 million now. How will the 3.5 million overspend be paid for? Well, in relation to the 3.5 million, first thing I need to say is that's not set in stone. Everyone's coming from it that that is definitely going to be the overspend. We've got to put it into context. 3.5 million sounds like an awful lot. But in terms of DHSC, we spend on average, if you average it out across the year... But how will it be paid for? Well, I'll come to that. We spend, but it's an important point to make, we spend £600,000 a day. So, so there's actually still the possibility within the margin of error of the department coming in on budget or at the top end being £3.5 million overspent. That's an important point to make. In terms of how will it be paid for, well, of the £3.5 million, 2.1 of it we've already talked about, which is the potential pay award. So um, it will come from a supplementary vote. Can, the can just, will have can, to come back to Tim Wood for Can you just get your companion, uh, Debbie Housel? How is the 2% cap affecting your members? It affects us really badly. I mean, is, is, is there rumblings of discontent? Can we, can we hear those? Within certain areas, of course, there is. Which areas? <laughs> oh, the <laughs> hospital. <Social> care. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But is it going to lead to 
um, problems? You know, we've got a lot of workers who work secondary contracts of employment as well um, to basically uplift their wage, uh, which is a big, big problem. And we see, you know, the refusal to set or, or remove that 2% cap will, will cause problems because should the negotiations go to whatever and the pay award will be above 2%, where will they get the money to fund that? Uh, Laurie Hooper, you're nodding your head then. It's a problem, but then can the island afford any more? I think you've got to look at it in the context of, of providing public service. If we want to attract the right people, the best people, and we want to have the best service delivery, you've got to invest in those services. And sometimes that means delivering the service in a different way. Sometimes that means the service will cost more. It, it's an inevitable fact. And I, I agree with what David was saying earlier. There has to be a way for uh, Treasury to, to make departments control that cost. But the old method was a headcount cap, which, which didn't work. Uh, we've now got a, a pay cost cap, which again doesn't seem to be delivering either. So is there anything, is there another way, is there an alternative method they should be looking? And that's the question that I've put to the Treasury Minister today. Well, we have the Treasury Minister with us, who's uh, hopefully just uh, gagging to get on on air, so we'll try and get him in here. Mr Ashford, thank you very much indeed for, for sparing the time, and Debbie Halsall, thank you very much indeed. If we, we get Mr Robertshaw as well, who's uh, sitting next to the next to the Treasury Minister. Well, he's got a gap in between them, and there's, I think, a certain amount of gap between them and their, their views of the budget as well. So if we'll just get you organised uh, there for a moment, Mr Robertshaw taking his... Uh, seat. He was the first to speak this year after Mr. Quayle, uh, Howard Quayle, had actually seconded uh, the, the statement. Uh, he was the first to speak last year as well. I was eager uh, to get in there uh, early on, I think, Mr. Robert Shaw, isn't it? That's true. I mean, uh, the, 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 the uh, budget presentation was positive. It was, a, I called it a tour de force. There's a lot of good stuff in there. But um, I felt it was important that we didn't get overexcited because there's some really big ticket issues that we've got to deal with. Um, and I really concentrated on the government's cost of operations, which is shooting up ahead of, of the target originally set at the beginning of this administration, and, and goes to show really that government really isn't getting there when it comes to becoming a really efficient organization. And, it, it's unfortunate and a lot of the advantage that we're now seeing is coming from the private sector bringing in uh, extra revenue streams, VAT, uh, NI and, and ITIP. But it's also because the economy is doing well, the benefit outflow is you, also... You actually credited the economy doing well for the government's good performance. I mean, isn't that what government is there for, to make the economy do well? I'm not sh quite sure what that I, I said that. I think I, I, I need to qualify that slightly because... Um, when we were in recession in the last administration, you couldn't point to the government and say, we're in recession because it's your fault. These were macroeconomic issues. Now, macroeconomic issues are also in play now. So um, it's very important. Government doesn't pat itself on the back too much. What it must do is get its cost of operations right, and, and that is not happening. But there's something else which really concerns me, and that is... In the efforts of the departments to save money, what they're actually doing is they're drawing in away from frontline services and protecting the, their fundamental organisation to the to the detriment of the, the service recipient, and that's that's really worrying. Uh, and I've been now rabbiting on 
for <laughs> far too long about how government needs to not, function. Not in this programme. No, you've been speaking no, no. very excitedly. Just, I'd like to go to yes, the Treasury sorry. Minister, uh, who's been listening to this as well. Um, Treasury Minister, you, you, you pause quite often during this one-hour, 13-minute statement to use the word confidence to say the island's a confident place, it's got confidence, and so... In fact, by the end of it, we were almost waiting for this phrase to appear. Are you confident? Are you as confident in the island's progress, particularly in the five-year financial strategy, as you, as you make out in, in this budget statement? Well, I, I am, John, and I mean, I think we've got very good But that's reasons. not just for show. That, well, that is, got, you no, feel I, it. I wouldn't be saying it if I wasn't confident. I think we should be confident in our, in, in our ability to deal with a lot of the challenges around. But also, more than that, the evidence shows that... Uh, a lot of the policies that, that we've undertaken, um, and more broadly across the island, we're able to, to rise to meet a lot of the challenges that are coming our way, uh, both currently and likely to down, down the line. So, yes, I, I am absolutely confident, and I said in, in my speech that we should be confident in our economy, we should be confident in our businesses, and we should be confident in our people. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't really expect me to say otherwise, particularly when we're delivering a budget that's saying that we've got a 28 million sur surplus, which was 18 million more than was forecast. But at the same time, and I really must emphasize this, this was not about complacency. And, you know, just to pick up on some of the comments that have gone before, it would be foolish of me to sit here and not recognize there are still a number of challenges that this government, this administration needs to resolve before um, people start putting their feet up and start thinking about what, what, what's going to come ne in the next five-year term. So we, we have got to continue to try and find solutions to some of the problems. But having said that, um, you know, we are uh, bringing forward a targeted uh, program of investment. I'd highlight the money, the additional money that we're putting into the police force as, as recognition, for example, of our need to strengthen frontline services in that area. I hear what was being said about health, but that, you know, the money that we've got the additional money that we're bringing forward. It's absolutely right that we do that to support the delivery of health. And, of course, we have got a big debate coming up uh, as a result of the review that's taken place, and we stand by to support that. So I think we are making the right spending decisions. We are looking to invest in a targeted manner across government, but we can't stand still. And some of the comments are valid that people are making about the need to continue to find better ways to deliver our Well, there are some big unknowns. The Brexit one is the biggest one, but also in terms of the island, FERSA, who are coming at the end of this five years to look again at how much VAT we get. Have we any idea what they're going to do? They're not going to give us more, well, presumably. They're what, going to give what, us less, what, are they? What I, well, I, you know, I hope we do have an idea in terms of, you know, we have a, uh, an agreed forecast in our budget for... Uh, VAT receipts. We have taken a very prudent approach to the promotion of those receipts in, in our budget. And this, the way the VAT calculation will work, that will be decided at the end of this household, household and business expenditure survey. So whatever the outcome of that, uh, you know, I think we, we will be in a good position to deal with that. But that is one of the examples that I certainly used when I spoke to honourable members about potential uncertainties and exactly the, the reason you highlight is exactly the reason why we should not decide that somehow uh, uh, an above uh, forecast surplus means that we should somehow take the handbrake off and just relax and stop and move away from what we all want to do, which is deliver better public services to, to, our, to our citizens. Well, putting first to one side, and I don't know how much leeway, how much notice we get when they're going to bring in any changes, the, the gap, obviously the big gap in pensions, etc., and the funding, uh, etc. How nearly are we 
to getting control, to getting control of that? Well, we set out we set out a five-year plan to reduce the uh, use of reserves in supporting uh, a deficit, and that deficit that we've got between income and expenditure uh, is primarily, as we know, brought about by the uh, gap in the public sector spe uh, reserve spe uh, public sector pension spending. Uh, the gap between income, which we've accepted uh, as, as taxpayer income of 15% towards costs, and the contribution from the employees. So we've set out a five-year plan to overcome that. We're on track to deliver that, you know, and it's absolutely vital that we're all committed to ensuring a smooth transition. Whatever our different political views, we must all be committed, I believe, to ensuring that we get a smooth transition through 2022 to allow a, uh, a platform for sustainable public finances into the future. Can, can I ask you, Mr. Robert Shaw, are you going to vote against this budget? I've never voted against a budget and I never will. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that I won't uh, apply uh, a significant amount of caution about what could happen. I, Alf touched on it a little bit there. But, but you, you know, there are black swans around that can, can really hit hard and we cannot assume and presume that our growth rates as now will continue ad nauseum. That would be thoroughly irresponsible. If you factor in a number of the concerns that I raised in my speech, if they impacted on our economy, it would be very, very damaging and it would point right back to the issue that the departments have not yet got proper control and cost, uh, control of the cost of operations. They just haven't. And they're doing it back to front and inside out at the moment. A final question, Treasury Minister. You glanced at your watch. I know you've got to get back in the, in the court and the chamber. But um, as far as the capital spending is concerned, uh, it's a big figure. But as you point out, I mean, 129 millions for this year, of which you're only going to spend about 60 or 70 because the rest doesn't, just doesn't get delivered, does it? If it did deliver, uh, I think the uh, Consolidated Loans Fund would be in a big deal of trouble, wouldn't it? Well, I, I mean, you know, traditionally, I'm not overly concerned about uh, under un, you know, our underperformance like that, that. I mean, the, traditionally, the government has spent about 60 or 70 million pounds per year in terms of its uh, capital spend. I think actually our performance is probably slightly lower, lower than that. Uh, I think uh, Laurie Hooper pointed it out in his uh, address that, you know, we, we are, you know, we have got this underspending uh, capital program. Uh, it is a concern because you know, government infrastructure, government services, etc., can only be delivered if we properly invested in, in our infrastructure, and that's new schools, new roads, port facilities. So we do need to uh, keep an eye on this. I think I've, I've been fairly open about the fact that we're going to need to, at some point, uh, have a much closer look or a review of how capital will be funded into the future. There's no massive cause for concern at the moment. The, the, the program is well funded. The, the uh, delivery... Um, is set out, I think, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a proper prioritised manner. You know, and in due course, we will have to, to look a bit more closely at, uh, at how we will continue to fund capital projects uh, uh, long into the future. Uh, the departments, I think there were 40 requests, were there, uh, for additional cash. Uh, what was that of? I mean, what percentage did you turn down? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, know the, percent, the percentage figure per se, but what we, had, what we did do was... Uh, try and bring some order to that by getting departments to tell us, you know, to list effectively their top 10 projects uh, so that we had a greater idea 
uh, of what we needed to, to try and factor in and build into our capital program. So they had to sell their projects to you. Treasury Minister, thank you very thank much you, uh, for joining us. Mr. Harmer, the infrastructure minister, is with us. And also Daphne Kane, the GAF member, who um, this term has been very vociferous, amongst other things, about education. Well, education is getting quite a bit of cash, isn't it, Mrs. Kane? Yes, and it's very welcome. There's a lot Enough, of do you think? Well, there's a lot of positives in the budget overall, and it's a positive to see that the um, department will have £1.5 million extra to support children, uh, students going on to further education. Is it enough and how that will work? I think we need the detail. Um, we want to give confidence to parents who are struggling to send their children to higher education. And it's welcome, but let's wait for the details, see how it works in practice. Um, I think it's also another real positive that the national insurance holiday scheme is going to apply to students returning for up to five years. And there are other really solid improvements that I see in the budget. Are we able to attract people who have been... They've gone across, done a lot of good work across. Do we effectively attract them back again? We need them, don't we? we? We do need them. I think the figure is less than half the, or around half the students who go away actually return. Um, we'd like that to be higher. And we have the jobs for them. And we have exciting, productive, highly skilled jobs. So the more students and young people we can attract into the working economy on the island, the better. And there are many things set up here, not least the locate strategy, that will aim to support that. Speaking of jobs, would you like to be education minister? <laughs> no, you were children's champion, of course, uh, and then stepped away from that because you weren't happy with the remit. Would you? you I'm would not. Like, you'd I'm like not to be, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? No, I'm not looking to take over the department. I want to achieve better outcomes for all children. And at the moment, I don't know that the department is funded correctly. I'm not sure. While we have the fundamental review of a health service, maybe we could have a fundamental review of education system and how it's delivered on the island. We'll be crossing over to Ray Harmer. My colleague here with me is uh, Alex Watton. Yeah, just short, uh, back to Daphne, really. The buzzwords, as well as confident and complacent, were uh, inclusive and caring. And you mentioned shortfalls there in the education system. Are there elements that aren't inclusive and caring in this budget? Well, one area that I've not heard anything about is greater funding for those the uh, most socially disadvantaged. Now, we heard recently when we heard the huge increase in the um, number of people on free school meals who are eligible for that, whereas in the UK, there would be, in England certainly, a pupil premium paid for areas of wide social disadvantage. And the minister has not undertaken to focus attention on that area at the minute. There was a, I think he said that a teacher is undertaking some research for the department. Where I'm coming from, I think I wanted to see more action, more inclusion and caring targeted at the people in most need, and I don't feel that from this budget in that area, although there are a lot of good things coming out of the budget. Can I just talk to Laurie Hooper about... Um Places in need, Ramsey perhaps, uh, they've got this enormous development now which does seem to have legs. Mr Doricott obviously is, is a very well-known businessman. Um, is that, could it reinvent Ramsey, do you think? You're talking there about a, a private sector development, yeah. don't forget. So <coughs> government, yes. government doesn't have a hand in but that But I'm sure the government can give it a pat on the back and point it in the right direction and things like that. It's important they do I, that. I'm it? sure government will. I'm sure the DOI will be engaged. Obviously, as the department with responsibility for, for ports and harbours, I'm sure they will be engaged with the developers around how the project might progress, whether or not there needs to be any kind of protections Do you think it's in. a good idea? I think on balance... Do you think it, it'll fly? Do you think it's got wings? I think on balance it, it is a good idea. I think Ramsey has been calling out for some uh, more development, modernisation and investment for a long time. Whether this particular scheme in that particular location is the right solution, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the scheme itself to be able to sensibly comment, but I think it is welcome to see that people have that level of confidence in Ramsey that they're willing to consider investing upwards of £100 million in the town.
Well, I raised my eyes, and goodness me, there's a DOI minister who's joined us, Ray Harmer. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, are you going to get involved in this Ramsey scheme? I think, um, we obviously, we put a harbour strategy that talked about um, marinas, both in the south and the north. This is a private sector uh, development, and, um, you know, it's welcome, and, and we'll, we'll look to... Uh, Put the right process and governance to make uh, to, to so that you know um, you know has that potential. Government, of course, does have some involvement because it would fundamentally give permission and put it out to tender as well if it was a private. We, 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 we've got to go through the right governance process, so expressions of interest and through um, and through obviously then it would go through Tim Ward and so forth. So um, you know there is there, there's a long way to to go in that. Obviously that's not really part of the budget today but obviously we did, we have put forward a harbour strategy which we believe um, is, is really important for our island. Just to talk to you quickly before we talk to Mr Skelly who's, who's come in the room uh, just about the roads we're going to have a big scheme happening I think on the roads south etc as ever people say you're not doing enough you're spending quite a bit of money, though, aren't you? Uh, we've only just started, I think. I think, and you know, it's going to take a long, long time for actually to see the the full, full fruits of that. You know, really, only the, that that's happened started this year. I think the south is going to see quite an exciting uh, development, both with the Balasala bypass, and there's a bit of work that we'll need to do as part of that. In, in uh, that's uh, going ahead, uh, is it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, that, and and then of course, of course, with the A5 remedial work there. So that's a huge amount of infrastructure. Obviously, you've got the Prom, promenade work and and we've had a um, some recoup re, uh, of what uh, was lost in the mid 2000s in terms of maintenance funding um, from last year so you know we are starting to see that but it's still are you a long, starting long to way do to... maintenance I mean one of the reasons things went wrong was because they used to do it every year and then they stopped doing it because they saved yes. money and, and and that has started I think if you if you, you look around the island we've, we've started doing more sort of uh, ditching work more sort of patching work um, some resurfacing work that's happened um, in a number of parts of the island um, and uh, but it's going to take a long time can I just go to Mr Skelly, because we're coming very near to the end of the programme. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. We'll, we'll get you back in the court as soon as we can. But just about this scheme, um, this fund that was uh, the £50 million, £10 million a year, which didn't really fly, did it? It's been reinvented. Uh, well, we did. Like last, in uh, December, we came back and actually uh, opened it up effectively, made it non-exclusive. So the opportunity and ability there for other, uh, particularly private uh, uh, equity funds right here in the Isle of Man can now buy into that. So was so it too exclusive? Uh, uh, well, at the time, it was felt that that would be the easiest way to do it and actually trying to funnel business to the Isle of Man. Uh, but we're kind of going over old hat here. But uh, effectively, as soon as we launched that uh, several years ago, there was another fund, the Northwest Fund, £400 million fund, much easier to access. Uh, was Which made took a, all the was money, made <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but having said that, they did actually go through something like about 300 different applications. But since we've changed it, uh, uh, we've got a real strong pipeline, which the, the, uh, the officers are going through at the moment. I just talked to you about the TT. Is that in order? Have we TT? got everything organised? Because there seems to be a lot of confusion in the last uh, few years about who's doing the TT, uh, who's doing what, who's doing... Uh, no, no, I think we have the right, the, the right structure that's been in place, and uh, it was a, you know, a fabulous uh, TT last year, and I think this year is um, teeing up very well. Uh, I'm not aware of any, any potential issues uh, at the moment that are, that are uh, problematic.
Are we happy with the amount of accommodation that's available? Well, always. There's, there's a stretch there, isn't there, with regards to uh, TT. There has certainly been quite a lot of applications, I think, for, uh, for camping. And, and, and in general, if you want to look at, shall we say, tourism and a visitor economy, uh, we have unprecedented investment interest that's either in train or actually coming down the pipeline in terms of investment in that industry in general, which is, I think, really reassuring and probably endorses what we actually have here in the business confidence survey talks about this confidence in our economy we talked about a budget of confidence we really believe we've got a rare economy of just confidence. quickly about tourism are we still in the short break market is that what we're aiming for uh, well short break has, has been very very popular and seen a seen a growth area for us over the last few years events of course which were very strong and always have been and i'm sure we will remain to be uh, i think our biggest biggest challenge of course is always stretching the season and uh, and of course now we've got uh, well, last year we had lovely weather <coughs> we, we did, we, we did. And, Can you, you arrange know, that, please? Uh, well, you, you say that, but here we are in the winter months, and one of the greatest uh, attributes here is our dark skies. You know, perhaps now working with uh, new colleagues in, in the steam packet, you know, we can help package things and uh, be a, a lot more attractive and uh, open up new markets and new opportunities for that uh, very important part of the economy. Let's hope we have a glorious summer ahead of us. My guests, thank you very much indeed, everyone, for joining us uh, in this programme. We've covered a lot of ground in the one hour.